Thank you for downloading this man-to-man podcast from Awakened Heart Ministries. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. You can find out more about Dr. Scott Engelman and the Awakened Heart Ministries team on our website at ahm4.life. Paul says this, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood authorities. We're not fighting against institutions, governments, people, Democrats, Republicans, Trump, Trump arrangements, and we're not fighting against any of that, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the spiritual realm. In other words, what's behind this in any chaotic storm at any time in the course of the world are unseen evil forces directed by the ancient serpent. Welcome to Session 1, Part 2 of this AHM Connect series, Speaking Into the Chaos. Okay, well, we're going to switch gears here. That was all just kind of set up for what we're going to talk about today, what we're all very aware of, and that's this. There's a chaotic storm brewing over America today. I don't think i got to prove that, do I? We see it in all the social unrest. We feel it in the political unrest, the economic uncertainty, all what's going on there, the pandemic fear, the sexual revolution that's taking place with everything going on, and the mistrust of institutions. Can we really trust anybody anymore? And with all of that, The question that we are asking ourselves here is this. What is causing this chaotic storm to fester and grow? What's going on that, that all this is happening today? Well, there are various explanations being given today. Some say it's simply the presidential election, and as soon as that's done, everything will go back to normal. Others say it's the China virus. Some say it's fake news. Others say it's Donald Trump. Just get rid of him and everything will go back to normal. Others say it's the Trump derangement syndrome. Get rid of them and everything will go back to normal. Uh, Some say it's systemic racism and social injustice. Some are saying, well, it's Antifa and BLM. Others, the QAnon conspiracy, which is very interesting going on now. Uh, the Democratic Party, and if nothing else fails, it's Vladimir Putin somehow behind all of this, masterminding it all. What's going on today? Which explanation is correct? Well, each explanation has some legitimacy, or maybe doesn't have any legitimacy, but it's being uh, looked at today, isn't it? It's being considered. This is the reason why it's going on today. But all, it, it, it all has this explanation that works to foster chaos in America. But what I want to say is this. None of it gets to the root of what's happening. There's something bigger going on. And the claim of this series, or the thesis of this series, is this. Far beneath the surface of the day-to-day chaotic events, flawed human beings, 
and corrupt institutions, there are much bigger movements with much greater sinister goals. Okay? Ephesians 6.12 kind of explains it. Paul says this, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood authorities. We're not fighting against institutions, governments, um, people, Democrats, Republicans, Trump, Trump arrangements. And we're not fighting against any of that. But against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the spiritual realm. In other words, what's behind this in any chaotic storm at any time in the course of the world are unseen evil forces directed by the ancient serpent. That's what I want us to see in this series. And so then, the thesis behind our this is when it comes to this, pre- this present chaotic storm, what we're going through is this. The chaos at work in America today is neither new or innocuous. It's not novel or it's not something no big deal. Its source is ancient. And as ancient, I mean the same satanic serpent, but disguised in a new skin. And its intention really is evil. It's not innocent. It's not innocuous. It's the same destructive goal, but now with another, uh, a different cunning new strategy. And if you look at the source and you look at the intention, the, the same satanic serpent, serpent disguised in a new skin with the same destructive goal, but now with a cunning new strategy, guess what you come up with? Contemporary secularism. Now, what is that? In other words, my thesis, I'll explain that in a minute, but for right now, let me just say this. Contemporary secularism is the new skin of the ancient serpent whose evil intent and cunning strategy is still to inject chaos into the goodness of God's creation. And what's the goodness of it? Diversity, fixed order, harmonious functioning. Why? So that He can destroy any and all remnants of God's very good shalom. That's my thesis for this series. That what we see today, and I'll define contemporary secularism in a minute, but it is the new skin of the ancient serpent whose evil intent and cunning strategy is still to take chaos, inject it into the goodness of God's creation, and therefore destroy any and all remnants of what remains of the very good creation of God. What happened to the creation in the fall, even though it it marred it, it didn't erase the goodness. There still are things that are good in God's creation. And Satan is not content. He wants to destroy everything. Now, to prove this thesis, what I want to do is first, today, I want to confirm the biblical fact that Satan is still working in the world today in the same way he did in the garden. And second, after we prove that fact, what we want to do then is define and show similarities between contemporary secularism and the ancient serpent. 
In other words, how He worked in the past is still how He's working today. But now, instead of working through a serpent, He's working today through contemporary secularism. Okay? So let's look and see. First, Satan is actively at work in the world today. Bible teaches that. 2 Corinthians 4.41, John 5.9, Satan is the god of this world. He's usurped it from you and I who are meant to, to rule the world on God's behalf, who presently exercises great power over the entire earth. Uh, Daniel 10, Revelation 20 says he exercises global influence over human governments and nations. John 10.10 tells us he actively opposes God in the work of Jesus of restoring shalom through the new creation. He's opposed to that and he's constantly working against that. Luke 8, Revelation 12 tells us that he misdirects people away from God and the truth revealed in God's Word. That's still what he's doing. And 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 3 and 4, it says his goal is still to exalt himself over God so as to be worshipped as God. That's what we see in Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28. That was his original intent, and that still is his intent. That's his goal. Now, that's what's going on in the world today. And the observation I want to make in light of all of that is this. As Satan works in the world today with his goals, he does so just as he did in the beginning through the serpent. He still works through harmless disguise. 2 Corinthians 11.4 says he disguises himself what? As an angel of light. He doesn't come looking like the devil. He disguises himself as harmless, just as he did in the garden. He still targets human vulnerabilities, the Bible tells us. He targeted Adam and Eve's innocence he targets different things for you and me. He still seeks to destroy God's good. He still attacks and confuses God's Word. The Bible tells us he still incites human rebellion. And he still uses chaos to disrupt God's good order. Lawlessness. He's the, the author of lawlessness. Guess what that is? The disruption, the disruption of order. God's good order. And so in my syllogism, what I'm wanting to say then is this. If Satan is still at work in the world today, and the expected answer is what? He is. The Bible tells us he is. And if Satan's work is being done today just as it was done, uh, being done in the beginning through the serpent, and it is, then what we can conclude is this. The same serpent who assaulted creation's goodness in the beginning is still doing so today, but now disguised in a new skin. And what I want to suggest is that new skin is what I am going to describe as contemporary secularism. Okay? Now, what is contemporary, contemporary secularism? Well, contemporary secularism, or CTS, is the fusion of two worldviews. It's the fusion, on the one hand, of modern secularism, 
which basically, and, and postmodern critical theory. Postmodern secularism detaches God from the world. There is no God who made the world. It says that the world is self-sufficient. You don't need God. Everything here is evolved and comes as a result of evolution or whatever it might be. The world is self-sufficient. We don't need God. There's no transcendent purpose to life. All there is is what we see here. Human reason and experience determines reality and truth. And human flourishing comes about through economic power and autonomy. If you want to flourish as a human being today, you have to have economic power and autonomy. You don't need anyone else. You can do it on your own. That's modern secularism. But it's also combined today with postmodern critical theory, which just very briefly, we'll go more into that in our last session, it basically says that life is all about the fight for power. It's all about power. Who's going to have the power? Human identity is found in group collective. It's not found out as an individual. It's found only as you are part of a collective group. Powerful groups oppress less powerful groups. Okay, That's part of uh, critical theory. Human liberation, then, is life's goal and moral directive. What's moral in the world and what's the goal of the world is because life is all about the fight for power and there's two groups, one powerful and one unpowerful. One is overtaking uh, the other. Guess what the goal is? The goal is to become now the oppressor instead of the oppressed. Human flourishing then while it says it's about equity of power and autonomy, it really is about switching the roles. We want the power. Why? Because at the core of human soul is greed and arrogance and pride. I want it for myself. So those two worldviews come together. And so when I talk about contemporary secularism, how I'm going to define that is this. It's a framework for which we do life. It's an unconscious framework. We just kind of breathe it. It's the water we swim in. It's the framework for doing life that holds. The path to human flourishing comes through the unending, get this, it never stops. It's an unending struggle of liberating marginalized identity groups from all social norms and structures that are constructed by dominant identity groups. Why? That because they crush and oppress their identity, autonomy, and power. That's contemporary secularism. Let me repeat that again. It's, it's an unconscious way of doing life. It's coming at us from everywhere. It's the air we breathe. It's the water we drink. It's what we smell. And it basically is this. It says human flourishing comes through the unending struggle of liberating marginalized identity groups from all social norms and structures 
that have been constructed and, 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 and established by dominant identity groups that crush and oppress the marginalized groups' identity, autonomy, and power. That's contemporary secularism. It's called social justice. Okay? Social justice is what's being talked about in the academy, university, it's what's being pushed. It's all about what's going on in entertainment in Hollywood. And it's in the media, and it's in Silicon Valley. Social justice, this idea that, that uh, there's an unending struggle, that, need, that the marginalized identity groups need to be liberated uh, from the social norms and structures constructed by the what? The dominant identity groups. And it's any way necessary, through violent revolution, not through peaceful reform. That's what's going on in our culture today. Okay? That's what I'm defining as contemporary secularism. Now, it has its various expressions in our culture today. Cancel culture, cultural appropriation, lawsuits against Christian bakers or whoever it is, the whole idea of white fragility, the LGBTQ plus rights, reproductive justice, as it's being called today, transgender, cisgender. Cisgender means that what? What you were born as is how you identify today. I was born as a boy, I identify as a boy or a man today. As I born male, I identify that's cisgender. Okay? Diversity training, it's going on everywhere, in the government, in, in the big corporations. Toxic masculinity and the whole talk of the patriarchy, this is all part of it. Public bathroom debate, that's there. Identity politics, you hear that term, that's all part of this. Trans athletes in women's sports, you know, boys that were trans into women now participating in women's sports. Systemic racism, that whole thing when you boil it down, this is what's going on. Same-sex marriage and the, the believe all women. Doesn't matter if it's true or not, you gotta believe all women in the Me Too movement. All of this are cultural expressions of what I am describing as contemporary secularism. Okay? So then, contemporary secularism is a framework for unconsciously or consciously doing life that holds that the path to human flourishing comes through the unending struggle. And notice it never stops. You never reach, you know, the, the, the place you want to be. It's an unending struggle of liberating marginalized identity groups from all social norms and structures constructed by dominant identity groups that crush and oppress their identity, their autonomy, and their power. And again, while some of this all sounds good on the top, remember, it's cunning. It's cunning. And it's confusing. And it's done through revolution, not reform, because none of it's good. You've got to get rid of everything. 
and it's done by any means necessary. That's the message that's going out today. And so the thesis of this series then is this. Contemporary secularism is the new skin of the ancient serpent, and I'm going to say that based on similarities between the two. In other words, if you look back in Genesis 3, and you look and you compare what's happening today with contemporary secularism, what you'll learn is that, man, what went on then is going on today. And if that's the same, and Satan is still working in the world today, then the only thing you conclude, it's the same serpent but with a new skin. And if that's true, that will tell us how we need then to approach it, right? So here's my question. If contemporary secularism is the new skin of the ancient serpent, based on certain similarities, then what? What would you want to know? What are those similarities, right? What are they? Well, the similarities between contemporary secularism and ancient serpent, there are five of them. Five similarities that, be, that exist between what we see going on in the garden and what we see happening today. Okay, what are they? Number one, first similarity. Like the ancient serpent of old, Contemporary secularism creates chaos by assaulting the goodness of God's created order. It assaults the goodness of God's created order. In Genesis 1.26, we see the goodness of gender and sexuality. God created men and women to be different, and there was something about that that gender differences and sexuality come together sexually, that was really good, right? This is good. Today, what we're being told is what? Gender binary, there's two genders, not more, and heterosexuality, to use their terms. What's heterosexuality? Sex happens between what? Male and female. Our oppressive social constructs created by the dominant group is normative. In other words, those things really aren't the norm. What makes them the norm are these what? The dominant group. And what's the dominant group that formed America? Western culture. And where did Western culture come from? Judeo-Christian ethics. It's also assaulting the goodness of marriage in the family, which we see in Genesis 2, 24 and 25. It was good that God made. It was very good. But what we're being told today that heterosexual marriage, the marriage between a man and a woman and the nuclear family where there is a father and mother in the home, are oppressive social constructs created by dominant group as normative. In fact, if you look on the BLM website, I've done this, and you look, the Black Lives Matter organization website, what do you see? One of the things that they are out to destroy is what? The nuclear family. Why? It's not good. It's part of a, a, a belief that was created by the dominant group. Western culture. The Judeo-Christian ethic. We've got to get rid of it. And then in Genesis 2, 16 and 17, we see the goodness of justice and virtue. There's right and wrong. There's justice and, and, and injustice. 
there's virtue and non-virtue. But what we're being told today is that justice and virtue as practiced by today, as traditionally practiced, are oppressive social constructs created by dominant groups as normative. What we see justice is today really isn't justice. It's really oppression. And you've got to get rid of those things. The solution, then, as I said here, is abolish all societal norms. And when you do that, what do you got? Chaos. What's the serpent about? Chaos. So that's the first similarity. Second similarity between the ancient serpent and contemporary secularism. Both target human vulnerabilities. In Genesis 3, they targeted human vulnerability, innocence, and today they're targeting our vulnerabilities as well. And there are three new vulnerabilities that contemporary secularism targets. It's different from what we see in Genesis 3. First of all, it targets shame. Once it targeted in Genesis 3 innocence, when innocence was gone, what happened? They felt shame. Guess what the new skin on that same ancient serpent targets today? Shame. I will be viewed by society as bad if I don't openly embrace what contemporary secularism is telling me about what God's uh, about God's fixed order that there really is such a thing as male and female that there really is such a thing as as sexual purity that there really is such a thing as father and mothers all these things I will be viewed as bad if I openly embrace the assaults of contemporary secularism on God's good fixed order. I'll be bad. So guess what? I hide from that. And so we have cancel culture. You'll be canceled if you don't go along. Or you'll be deplatformed if you don't go along with openly embracing this. And then there's guilt, right? Adam and Eve felt guilt after they lost their innocence. They felt shame. They felt guilt. That's still being played on today. I don't have the right to speak up against the uh, contemporary secularism's assault on God's fixed order because of past social wrongs. You know, there really have been social wrongs in the past against, uh, against blacks, against uh, uh, homosexuals. And because of that, guess what? We can't say anything. We just got to be silent. And so the slavery and Jim Crow, because of that homosexual mistreatment, we don't have the right to speak up and say, you know what, what's going on today really isn't right. There's something is, it's wrong about this. And so out of guilt, we have to remain silent. Out of shame, we have to be quiet. And then there's this simple desire for virtuousness. We all desire to be good. There's something that, that's deep within every human being that longs to be good. I want to be compassionate and a good person. So rather than being a bad person, I'm going to uh, ally myself with uh, CTS against social injustice. I'm going to jump on the, the bandwagon and go along with them. 
And so I will have all my virtue signaling and I'm going to support them. In fact, if I don't, then I'm a bad person. If you don't, then you're a bad person. And we see all that going on today. Like the ancient serpent, contemporary secularism targets human vulnerabilities. It targets our shame. It targets our guilt. And it targets our desire to be seen as good. Well, third similarity. Like the ancient serpent, so contemporary secularism appears in non-threatening disguises. Okay? There are three trusted human institutions it's appearing in today. First, science and medicine. Science and medicine is telling us that male and female is neither biological nor determined by birth, but is a state of mind that may differ from one's external physical body. That's what we're being told today. And so, because of that, we can have reassignment surgery. Oh, you, you, you were born a boy, but you're really a, a girl? Well, then we can fix that. Because we trust science and we trust medicine, it doesn't seem that threatening of a deal. And then there's psychology and sociology. Today, people are autonomous, autonomous beings who thrive when not restricted by oppressive social norms and bigoted religious views. So we've got to help people free themselves from all of that. And so when you look at the DSM-2, the Diagnostic Statistic Manual uh, for Counseling, that they use it, and number two said that homosexuality was a, a, a perversion, it, it, it was a corruption, when you get, it, it begins to change so that now homosexuality is seen as, guess what? The norm. What are we on? Number five now, Kevin? Six? Fifth one? Fifth di di uh, diagnostics, DSM five or six? In the two, it, it was saying homosexuality was a dysfunction. Now in three and so on, it's saying it's normal. And we trust those things, don't we? We trust those things. Also, it's coming in politics and law, primarily law. Whatever is determined by the courts to be the law of the land is morally right and good. And so if abortion is determined to be the law of the land, then abortion must be what? Good. And if same-sex marriage is determined to be the law of the land, then guess what? That must be good too. So who are you to argue? Who are you to argue? And so like the serpent of old, contemporary secularism appears in non-threatening disguises, it gives us its message in ways that we don't think. You know what? We should have our guard up here. For similarity. Like the ancient serpent, contemporary secularism creates confusion and doubt about God's Word. Okay? Did God say? Is that what God said? That was the question of the serpent. It's still saying that. And uh, there's a continuum uh, when it comes to the Bible that contemporary secularism has. First of all, atheism basically says that the Bible is just a book of religious myths compiled by the patriarchy for their own social purposes. 
deep power. There is no God to speak is the message. Deism basically says that the Bible is a book on human morality written by men to ethically shape their society. It says God is there, but He's distant and can't speak. Next, we have liberalism, and by that I would mean political, contemporary, religious liberalism. The Bible is a book written in which God's Word can be discovered by subjective experience. It really isn't God's Word, but you can have an interaction with it, and you can kind of have this liver quiver, and I'm like, oh, I, I feel something happened to me, and it must be you know, the divine happening within me. God can speak, but He doesn't speak objectively. He's not clear. He doesn't say, thus says the Lord. And then, today, evangelicalism. We see this happening in many churches today. The Bible is a combination of God's Word and outdated human opinion that must be entangled. Yeah, it's God's Word, but there's things in it, you know, that, that were just part of the culture today, and we've got to know what it is and learn to filter those things out. God speaks, in other words, but He didn't say that. I'll give you an example of it in evangelicalism. Uh, April 29th, 2019, there was an opinion column uh, in the USA Today, and the title was, American churches must reject literalism and admit we got it wrong on gay people. And kind of the subtitle, churches will continue hemorrhaging members until we face the truth being a faithful Christian does not mean accepting everything the Bible teaches. Okay? Now, my question is, who is Oliver Thomas? You know who Oliver Thomas is? Well, he's not only a lawyer, but he is mainly, first calling is, he is a Baptist minister. I think he is in Kansas City or something like that. A Baptist minister who basically is saying, God speaks, but He didn't say that. In other words, what He is saying, what you hear today in much of evangelicalism is this. The Bible is a culturally dated book that teaches an antiquated morality. And therefore, what you think God might have said about gender, sexuality, and marriage, just know this. He didn't say that. He didn't say that. Fifth, similarity. Like the ancient serpent, contemporary secularism inflames the same human rebellion by speaking the same deceptive message. What was the message of the serpent? The message of the serpent was this. God's penalty about sin is a lie. God's penalty about sin is a lie. The message of contemporary secularism today is this. Sin is an antiquated belief of the unenlightened. The deception is this. Sin has no consequence. The serpent said God's motive for giving the, the um, penalty the prohibition is questionable. He really is afraid of you that you'll become like him. 
The contemporary secularism is basically telling us today that biblical morality serves to perpetuate its own power, its own Christian dominance. The deception is this. Not only does sin has no consequence, but God is not good. You think He's good? He really isn't good. The serpent also, message of the serpent is this, that God's fixed order is restrictive. How God has created things and set you up and set the world up to be and to function uh, for Him, in Him, and under Him, well, that's restrictive. You hear the same message today, don't we? Biblical truth claims oppress human identity. You really think the Bible teaches that? That just oppresses who people really are. The message is this. God is an oppressor that must be replaced. That's the message that was going on in Genesis 3. And that's the same message going on today. Spoken by the same ancient serpent. But in a new skin. The skin of contemporary secularism. And so then, contemporary secularism is the new skin of the ancient serpent based on five key similarities. Both assault the goodness of God's created order. Both target human vulnerabilities. Both, in Genesis 3 and today, appear in non-threatening forms. Both create confusion and doubt about God's Word. And lastly, both inflame human rebellion with the same deceptive message. And what is that message? God is an oppressor that must be replaced. Here's my question. What does all this mean for you and I today as men? What does it mean for us as not only men, but as Christians? This brings us to our conclusion and the last sidebar. Man sidebar number three. Man sidebar one said what? God made us as men to protect the goodness of His creation by speaking what God spoke into the present chaos. What did God say about it? That's what we're to say about it. What God said into the chaos, that's what we're to speak to the chaos. Sidebar number two, and that's by the way, that's what it means to be a masculine man. Masculine man is about being macho, it's about speaking and acting like God did in the chaos. Sidebar number two, we saw Adam failed to protect the goodness of God's creation when he chose to remain silent, passive, and compliant in the face of chaos. Now, sidebar number one tells us what masculine men look like. Sidebar number two tells us what submasculine men look like. They don't speak and move into the chaos the same way with the same words that God spoke and moved into the chaos. That brings us to our last sidebar, sidebar number three. Sidebar number three is this. With the chaotic storm brewing over America today, all the unrest and confusion and chaos we're feeling, we must remember that men were made for such a time as this. You and I were fit and formed and commissioned for such a time as this. 
And so while sidebar number one was all about masculine design, sidebar number two was all about submasculine men, sidebar number three is all about the masculine choice. What are we going to choose? Be masculine men or submasculine men? The masculine choice is this. Will we choose to be masculine men that speak and move into the chaos of all that's going on today in the world? Or will we choose to be submasculine men, like Adam chose, that are silent and passive and compliant in the chaos? That's our choice as men. And guys, it's always been our choice. From the day God put man in the garden until today with all of Adam's sons living in the world. That's always been our choice. But one thing we're facing today a little bit more maybe than what we've heard in the past from our culture today, and it really is the pressure on men today, is because we're hearing this, masculinity is toxic and patriarchal. In other words, it's a bad thing to be a man. Men must, must be silent and passive and compliant in the chaos. If men are going to get on board with what's going on in the culture today, men must what? Shut up and listen. You cannot speak. You must be silent and compliant. So the question that we're have to ask ourselves is this, are we going, who are, to whom are we going to listen? Are we going to listen to the voice of God who says we were made to speak and move into the present chaos in which we live? Or are we going to listen to the voice of the serpent who says, Shh, quiet, be passive, be compliant, and just go along. You won't get in trouble, and you'll be a better person for doing that. Here's my closing question. If we listen to God and choose to be masculine men that speak into this chaotic storm, what do we say? What do we say? Gosh, that stops most of us right there. We don't know what to say. How do we say it? Where do we say it? We're supposed to go on a street corner and stand on a soapbox and just let everybody start doing that? And to whom do we say it? Everybody? Certain people? What? In other words, what's our platform as men who act in a masculine way that speak into the chaos? That's our question. And we'll begin to answer that next time, Saturday, October 10th, 2020, when we look at speaking into the chaos that is assaulting marriage and the family. A lot's being said today about marriage. A lot's being said today about the family. That's very, very, very different than what God says about marriage and family. And we are going to begin. 
We hope that Scott's message today has encouraged you and helped you to better understand how God intended the power he gave us to be used. Please visit our website, ahm4.life, and click on the resources tab. There you will see the Man to Man podcast and other resources we have available. At AHM, our mission is to provide hope and direction to men in a confusing world through Jesus Christ. Please continue to keep our ministry in your prayers, and if you'd like to donate to our efforts, visit our website and click on the Giving tab. Man to Man podcasts are provided by Awaken Heart Ministries, located in Troy, Michigan.